The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hold On. I'm Buck Sexton. Is the left fighting a losing battle on many fronts of the culture war right now? certainly seems like it's moving in that direction, which would be the first time in a long time that the Democrat Party, the progressives, uh, those who seek to do damage to our lasting traditional cultural institutions may find themselves with the American people saying enough is enough. But first, the Supreme Court decision that we're all waiting for that is expected based upon a leak of an earlier draft to overturn Roe v. Wade has not been released as of yet. It could come any day now. It is likely to come in the next week or so. And that means that there are going to be some people who view this as a massive, uh, a massive move in the right direction when it comes to the rights of unborn babies. There will be others, however, the activists of the pro-abortion movement who are enraged. And one thing you notice about so many of the people that are most vocal in favor of abortion, 
they often seem unhinged and quite a bit nasty. Here's a pro-choice activist, for example, uh, shouting some obscenity, uh, obscenities at students for life. Watch. such anger and also sadness at the same time from uh, a young woman who clearly is a bit lost. But there are so many of these abortion activists, these people for whom abortion is, uh, really they find the fundamental freedom of women that seem deeply unhappy, unsettled, perhaps even a bit unhinged. And that's gonna get a whole lot worse if the decision does come down as a 5-4 overturning of Roe v. Wade. Democrats don't have any particular uh, messaging on this that holds together and makes sense. Vice President Harris, for example, has said recently that there's nothing about abortion that will require anyone to abandon their faith. Well, if you're a Catholic, for example, a believing Catholic who follows the uh, tenets of the church, that's not true, despite the fact that there are Democrat activists and uh, Democrat politicians who say otherwise, uh, there is in fact a connection for many people of faith to the need to protect unborn babies in the womb. And this seems like a major, uh, a major blow to the left is coming, at least in the days ahead here from the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And after decades of being able to lean on this fake constitutional right, now they'll have to actually take this to the states, which means making an argument instead of just shouting about how it's a right, it's a right. So they may lose because of the courts on that one. On the issue of the trans agenda and transgender athletes specifically, much more likely that the left is going to be losing ground as we see it play out going into the midterm elections. Uh, Megan Rapino is a female soccer player from the U.S. national team. Uh, who is for the end of her career, she's uh, almost 40, and she has given some very uh, dismissive uh, and snide comments recently about anybody who plays women's sports being upset at the fact that there are men, biological males, uh, individuals with male genitalia, XY chromosomes, etc., uh, that anyone who's upset about that play, uh, about them playing in female sports is being childish, being selfish. I mean, here's one example of a quote from her. Show me the evidence that trans women are taking everyone's scholarship, dominating in every sport, winning every title. I'm sorry, it's just not happening. So we need to start from inclusion, period. And as things arise, I have confidence that we can figure it out, but we can't start from the opposite. It's cruel and frankly disgusting. And she said, so we need to really take a step back and get a grip on what we're talking about here because people's lives are at risk, kids' lives are at risk when the rates of suicide, rates of depression, neg negative mental health, and a drug abuse. We're putting everything through, God forbid, a trans person be successful 
in sports, get a grip, take a step back. Um, and she also said something along the lines of, you know, your daughter's high school volleyball team isn't that important. Get over yourself. Uh, she's a fraud and an imbecile. Uh, fraud insofar as if men were allowed to play in women's sports, nobody would have heard of her because she would be dominated not just by any male professional soccer player, by uh, trained 15 and 16 year old men. As we know, they actually were able to defeat the women's national team in a friendly not long ago. I think they're actually 14 and 15 year old. So 14 and 15 year old men can beat the best women's soccer team in the world. Yeah. Um, so start with that, which I think is just interesting because after she was able to use sex segregated sports to her advantage for decades, now she wants to laugh at the destruction of that. But, but notice also the way that this is framed as you either don't want people to live or you allow, you know, a 250 pound man to play on a women's field hockey team. That's just completely unfair. Uh, everyone knows it. Everyone at a, at a very basic common sense level understands how absurd this is. But wokeness demands you embrace absurdity. Wokeness, the left, the Democrat Party, demand of you that you reject what you can see with your own eyes, reject what you can observe yourself. And uh, that's why. And also, of course, there's a lot of virtue signaling here. Oh, yeah, I care so much about trans inclusivity in sports. So I'm a good person. What about the women who are trying really hard to be the best in their sport, just uh, essentially abolishing that for them is somehow, the, the dismissiveness, the snide tone, Rapino is gross. And then there's Olympic swimmer Sharon Davies, who's re who revealed recently that she has received death threats because she spoke out against trans women, also known as men who think they are women, in women's sports. So it really is, you know, everybody is scared because the moment you try to speak out and just ask for fairness, you get called names, you get death threats, you get the TRAs ringing up your employers, trying to get you sacked, trying to get you unemployed. You know, there's not been respectful debate on both sides of this. You know, I, it, it has to be out in the open. You know, it's shine the light on everything to find solutions for everybody. And that's what this has always been about from my side. It's never been about excluding trans people. It's been about promoting fair sport. Promoting fair sport. Yeah, that is certainly what it's about, among other things. And then there's this video. Um, the American people, I think, recognizing that even in the U.S. Navy, the pronoun mania and the trans inclusivity doctrine are mandatory. This is a U.S. Navy training video. Watch this. Hi, my name is Johnny and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Kanchi and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name, and it's also how people refer to us in conversations. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. It is a signal of acceptance and respect. If it's a signal of acceptance and respect, how do we go about creating a safe space for everybody that's a good question. A really good way to do that is to use inclusive language. Instead of saying something like, hey guys, you can say, hey everyone, or hey team. Yeah, and now that you say that, another way that we could show that we're allies and that we accept everybody is to maybe include our pronouns in our emails or like we just did, introduce ourselves using our pronouns. This, this stuff continues on, this wokeness. 
infiltrating all across the military, we're going to end up losing a major war at some point in the future. And everyone's going to say, why? Why do we not have the esprit de corps to fight a battle to the very end? Well, because we're worried about pronouns. Got our friend Ned Ryan of American Majority coming up in just a second to tell us about the political landscape as there are some elections today. And of course, the big election coming up this fall. Stick around. Let's talk about protecting your home for a minute. You know that I'm skeptical by nature. So when I first heard about home title theft and the idea that thieves can literally steal your home, I was like, really? Can some cyber criminal really forge my name off the title of my home and take over as the new owner? Turns out, yeah, he can. It's not as rare as you'd think. According to the FBI, this crime is growing faster than credit card fraud, and you're not covered by homeowner insurance or common identity theft programs. Home Title Lock earned my trust. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with their home's title, they mobilize to help shut it down. So here's what I urge you to do. Number one, go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. Number two, register your home address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. When you protect your home, tell them Buck Sexton sent you to get my listener discount. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof, so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. There were some primary and special elections underway today in Alabama, Georgia, and Virginia. And there was a big election that just happened last week that has some indicators of what we could be expecting this fall when it comes to the Hispanic vote and the GOP. Whenever we're talking politics, we want a man who has his finger on the pulse, who is a prognosticator par excellence, who understands where all this stuff is going. We've got to talk to our friend Ned Ryan, CEO of American Majority. He joins us now. My main, Ned, my main man, Ned, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Hey, I'm doing well, Book. Good to be back with you. So the victory of Myra Flores in Texas's District 34 last week, to you, one district tucked down along the uh, U.S.-Mexico border, Rio Grande Valley. What do you take from that win? Well, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic, Buck. Already, uh, I, I don't want to get overly optimistic though. Looking at these results, uh, but I do think things are moving in our favor in a lot of different ways. I mean, go back and look at December. There was a poll done of the Hispanic community uh, in which they were asked, "Who do you plan on voting for in the 2022 midterms?" And it was 37% Republican, 37% Democrat. So there've been signs along the way. Do you get to April? Uh, Joe Biden's approval rating with the Hispanic community was only at 26 percent. 
And the, the thing that the Hispanic community has made very clear is their number one issue is inflation, right? What a shocker, right? For the rest of the country, it's inflation. For the Hispanic community, it's inflation. So they're looking at this and, and blaming Joe Biden and the Democratic Party for what's taking place, rightly so. So I think there's a whole lot of different trends that are pointing in our direction that are going to be very beneficial to, to the Republicans with the Hispanic community come this fall. Uh, I think the Flores victory is, is an indication of that. I actually, Buck, I got to tell you, when you're looking at some of these approval ratings, uh, Joe Biden, various demographics, not only is he taking with the Hispanics, he's taking with the Asian American community. I think 76% of them voted for him in 2020. He's down at 53%. So it's not only the Hispanic community, but there's other demographics that, that Joe Biden is doing very, very badly. Recent Quinnipiac poll shows that Biden's approval among Hispanic voters dropped from May of 2021. It was 55%. I mean, you know, solid numbers there for Biden. May of 2022, 26%. That is do not pass go, do not collect $200 kind of uh, approval number. That is rough stuff right there. And you're seeing that kind of holding over the course of months. It's not like it's bumping up and down and going in Biden's favor and then dropping back down. No, it's holding pretty steady at that 26, 27, 28% approval rating in the Hispanic community. I mean, these are all telltale signs that they have real problems. I'm stating the obvious, Buck, when I say this. Democrats are facing an absolute shellacking uh, come this fall. In fact, so much, Buck, I mean, I'm here in, in my home state of Virginia where it was a 12-point flip between 2020 and 2021 when you look at Biden versus Youngkin. I have to tell you, I feel very comfortable in saying anything that Joe Biden won by 12 or 13 points in 2020 is absolutely in play in 2022. In fact, so much so, I'd even go out on a limb and say this, Buck, I think anything that's 20 points or less that Joe Biden won in 2020 might absolutely be competitive this fall. So what, what are some of the races then, some of the, the states or, or districts that are high profile that you think could be in the in the gettable, maybe a bit of a reach, but gettable category going into this fall? I mean, the easiest place to start is, is with the statewide, with the Senate. You, you look at Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire. I think those are, those are absolutely real pickup opportunities for Republicans. Where I think it gets very interesting is when you start to look at states like Connecticut and Washington State and Colorado, where people are thinking, no, there's no way those could be competitive in 2022, but those are right at the 2019. I think Colorado was 14 point uh, margin of victory for Biden in 2020. I think those three Senate races could be highly competitive. I'm not saying we're going to win them. I think we might be able to sneak one, maybe two of them, though. That would be fantastic, obviously. I mean, I'm certainly hopeful. By the way, Mo Brooks squaring off today in uh, against uh, what is it? Uh, Brit in Brit in uh, Alabama. Alabama. Uh, what do you think? Yep. Of what do you think of that race for the, that Senate seat? You know, Brooks got the Trump endorsement. The Trump endorsement got withdrawn. I mean, I, I've known Mo Brooks. So I knew him when he was a congressman. He was really good on the border, really good on immigration. That's all I really remember about his time then, though. So what, what went on here? Well, it, it really came down to Mo Brooks announcing in front of a very large rally that he thought we needed to move past the 2020 elections which of course is a big issue with Trump. And on top of that, he was running a rather lackluster campaign at the time. I think a combination of factors, Trump, Trump pulled the endorsement. Uh, I have to tell you what irritated Trump coming down the home stretch in the primary 
was that Mo actually continued to use that endorsement after it had been rescinded and sent out a mailer. So people, I think, were a little surprised that Trump endorsed Brett afterwards uh, in the in the runoff. I, I was not actually. How do you, do you have any any prediction for us on that one? People are voting as we speak. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I would love to see Mo win, being completely honest, but I'm giving Brett the nod. I, I think she's going to be able to pull it out because you have to understand she's Shelby's former chief of staff. Uh, and Shelby has a very powerful machine inside of Alabama, even though Trump is very popular and, and Trump is very popular as well. So I think those two com- combined factors are going to make it very hard for Mo to overcome. But, hey, I, I would love to see Mo win. I just think Brett's going to pull it out tonight. And, uh, you know, the the race between uh, Herschel Walker, you know, I, I interviewed Herschel earlier, earlier today on radio um, and he showed a real grasp of, of the issues and uh, particular Fluency, I think, in connecting to people over the issue of gas prices. You know, if if there's one Senate race that you are you really, you know, what what's the biggest one for you that you that you think is going to be the harbinger of things to come? I mean, is it that race between Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker, or is it Laxalt out of Nevada? I mean, which one are you going to be watching most closely? I, I feel really confident about Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. I think the the one that's going to tell you it's going to be a disaster is New Hampshire. Uh, if we take back New Hampshire, I think it's game on with those other for three states, home, Washington, uh, Connecticut. Ned, who's, for everyone at home, who's in that one, and what how's it looking right now? Boy, it's one of those things. I, I have to tell you, it's been a little. They wanted Sununu. The NRSC was re- recruiting Governor Sununu. Uh, we might not get the top quality candidate that we want, but I think at this point it's 2022, Buck. And I think any Democrat that's on the ballot in a lot of these states, you have to look at Biden's approval rating. It's in the low 30s. I think he's maybe 37, 38 percent in New Hampshire. Uh, and I would remind people in the 2010 shellacking, Obama was at 44.7 percent approval and he got absolutely hosed in the House and the Senate races. And Joe Biden is well below that mark, not only nationally, but when you get to these individual states, he's in the low 30s, even in the high 20s in some of these key Senate races. I think it's going to be a good fall, Ned. Keep our fingers crossed and our eye on the prize. Thanks so much for being with us, my friend. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. All right, coming up, a major decision on religious freedom comes down in a 6-3 ruling from the Supreme Court. What does it mean for people who want to be able to use the voucher program to send their kids to Catholic, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, any schools out there. We'll discuss in just a moment. Uh, First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, your messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mind your data, never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line.
A blow for religious freedom today struck by the Supreme Court in a 6-3 decision that will make it a whole lot easier for parents across the country who want their children to go to religious schools to be able to do so. It turns out the wall of separation between church and state, which doesn't actually exist in the First Amendment or the Constitution, isn't quite what a lot of libs thought it was. We're joined now by Bethany Mandel. She's editor of Heroes of Liberty and contributing writer at Deseret News. Talk to us about all this. Bethany, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So first, can you tell us what, what, what was at issue in this 6-3 Supreme Court decision that came down today? What are the facts of the case that folks need to know? Yeah, so basically the Supreme Court decided that uh, parents in Maine can use their tuition vouchers for religious schools, not just you know, any old private school, but that that they have to be able to use those tuition vouchers even at religious schools. Um, so it, it was a pretty big decision for school choice advocates today. And so what do you think this means uh, nationwide for the trend, it seems, of, of school choice and specifically religious school choice? Yeah, absolutely. So for states that this choice is granted, uh, it opens up the door to a lot more, uh, a lot more religious schools to be able to take this money. And so, you know, not just Catholic schools, but you know, schools of any religious persuasion can take this money uh, from voucher programs and and you know expand their programming uh, into parochial programs that were that were just sort of uh, channeled before into private education without any sort of religious structure. The basics, as I see here, are that this could increase school voucher programs, tax credits to fund scholarships and tax-exempt educational savings accounts. Uh, the Supreme Court decision reads, under the new program, parents designate the secondary school they would like their child to attend, public or private, and the school district transmits payments to that school to help defray the cost of tuition. Also, the document states that if a state uses taxpayer money to pay for students attending non-religious private schools, it must also use taxpayer funds to pay for attendance at religious schools. So, I mean, do we expect that this will perhaps increase enrollment at schools that are Christian, uh, Jewish, uh, or Muslim, and, and anything else uh, that, that may be involved here? What, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of parents who wanted to pull their kids out of the public school system, money was a huge consideration. And so they were sort of, you know, in Maine or in, in similar states, they were deciding, you know, we'll send our kid to a private school that's better than the public's. But if the money can't go to a religious school, then I guess we'll we'll try to send them to a different sort of more morally aligned private. But now they don't have to make that choice. Now they can they can have their money follow their student to a religious school or to not a religious school. And that really opens the door for a lot of religious schools that had been hampered uh, by the fact that, you know, their their competitors down the road who didn't have a religious affiliation were able to take a lot more cash from the state. And now they're able to take it too. Chief Justice John Roberts, who joined the majority uh, in this 6-3 decision, wrote that uh, Maine's non-sectarian requirement for otherwise generally available tuition assistance payments uh, violates the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely does. Parents have to, you know, it, I, I don't understand why they, I mean, I do understand why they they limited the use of these funds for religious schools. It's because they wanted to handicap them. And 
it, it was against the religious freedom, the religious rights of these schools to be able to take this money just like any other private school. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a long time coming. Also, uh, in the minority uh, opinion here, Justice Sotomayor shared her thoughts as follows. This court continues to dismantle the wall of separation between church and state that the framers fought to build. The court has upended constitutional doctrine, shifting from a rule that permits states to decline to fund religious organization to one that requires states in many circumstances to subsidize religious indoctrination with taxpayer dollars. I, I honestly do wonder, as I read this, if Justice Sotomayor knows that the wall of separation between church and state isn't actually a thing. Yeah, I mean, and it's also disturbing that she thinks just sending your kid to a Jew Jewish school or a Catholic school is religious indoctrination. No, it's just education. There is so much wrong with, with that, that statement that I don't even know where to begin to unpack it. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's citing this, obviously, and you could say, it's a very common talking point uh, among people that are either atheists or believe very strongly in, uh, in denigrating any kind of public, uh, public exercise of religion or anything in the public sphere. Of course, it doesn't appear in the First Amendment, it doesn't appear in the Constitution anywhere, and they speak of it with yeah. reverence as, as though it does. So, I mean, I, I think that this at least shows that on some key issues of, of First Amendment freedom, this court seems to be unified with a 6-3, at least a 6-3 decision, which is a good thing. Um, also wanted to ask what you think about the big push going on right now from the left, uh, separately from this, to push for uh, children to be exposed to drag performance, which uh, this has become a big cultural flashpoint. A lot of people will openly say, this is a good thing and that drag like why does drag queen story hour have to be something that people get behind why not just have adult males or adult females dressed as they normally would reading to children like what what do they get out of this i i don't know i mean where is justice sotomayor right now let's let's protect children from this religious indoctrination of the drag queens this is this is part of their religion they think that you know drag queens have to have this access to children and and therefore widen their uh, their horizons. I, I'm really not sure what it comes down to is just the total sexualization of childhood, which is their ultimate goal. And uh, I, I really I don't understand the fervent desire to expose children to to gyrating men dressed as women. But uh, there, there's so, so much wrong with it. And you know, parents can do whatever they want to do. But we're paying for it with our DAX dollars in public schools, uh, in public school library, and when they do these events in New York City, uh, and also in in the the public libraries as well. Yes, it just seems to me that this would be such an easy issue to be dealt with by just everyone agreeing. There's no reason for this to be happening in the first place, but no. it's obviously important to a segment of the left that young children are exposed to. Uh, people who are men who are dressed as women. Yeah, yeah, I, I really don't understand it. I mean, it used to be, you know, when Pride Month was was around, I don't know, five years ago, it was just a celebration. And it was just, you know, everyone has to accept us. And, and now it's become sort of force fed, not just at us, but also our children. And if you don't want your toddler 
being read a book about swish, 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 go the drag queen's hips, which is a real book, uh, suddenly you're a bigot. The, the, the line keeps on going farther and farther. And we should have drawn it a long time ago. And now with the drag queen story hour, I think finally we're starting to realize that they're just all out assault on childhood, on innocence, on all of it. Bethany, thanks for being with us. Thank you. The Twitter board has approved officially Elon Musk's takeover bid for that social media giant. When we come back, we'll speak to Kara Frederick of the Heritage Foundation about just what this means and where it's all going. Stay with us. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Elon Musk, a step closer to his actual takeover of Twitter. The board has met of that company and they have approved Elon's takeover bid. So what does this mean? How do we get to this point? Where are we going? What does it mean for free speech? All that good stuff. We've got Kara Frederick with us now, director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, former Facebook employee. She knows how these big tech companies work. Kara, thanks for being back with us. Of course. Thanks for having me, Buck. So how much of a milestone is this that Elon's actually gotten the approval of the board over at Twitter? What? How, first of all, are you surprised at all? Is this what you were expecting? And where do we go from here? Look, I will say I'm a little surprised. The last time I was on the program, I was like, eh, I'll give it 50-50 at this point because they've thrown up obstacles in his way again and again and again. The joint SEC DOJ investigation, allegations of sexual misconduct, the board taking the poison pill from the beginning. So I was not so sanguine about this actually coming to fruition. So I think this is a pretty big milestone. But as Elon himself has said today, there's three things that are still unresolved resolved that need to be uh, fixed basically before this goes forward. One, the bot issue, right? He wants to get it under 5%. Now Number two, the funding, that all has to come together. And number three, the shareholders still have to vote to approve this takeover. So three things, some little, some not so little. But again, this is a this is a massive win, I think, for the people on the side of free speech and for Elon himself. So what are the steps then? I mean, you mentioned so there, there'd be voter approval, a stock shareholder approval. Do we have any idea of what a timeline could be before? I mean, basically, people want to know when are all the libs who are crying at their desks at the mere prospect of free speech and Twitter? When are the tears going to start to flow because this is a done deal and it's all over for the open censorship of conservatives on Twitter? You know, I think they should get the tissues out at 
this point. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly when in terms of a timeline, but I do think the shareholders would be wise to vote in favor of this because right now Twitter is trading considerably below what Elon's actually offering for per share for the company. Um, stocks are up a little bit. I think 1% was the last figure I saw before I came on here. But you know, it is, I think, the fiduciary duty of the board. They did it, right? They said yes, and for their shareholders to actually let Elon take this thing over. So I think that uh, the libs better get their tissues out. And again, uh, Parag Agrawal and all of his lackeys better keep cleaning up the platform because at this point, I think Elon's coming. If Twitter becomes a true free speech guided platform, right? I mean, Elon's always said illegal stuff will still be illegal. You know, you can't operate a digital, uh, you know, illegal drug market or something on the platform. Obviously, there are going to be some things that they still don't allow and, and police. Um, but but if Twitter does actually allow, you know, important political debate from both sides of the aisle as part of its mission going forward, do you think that will have a meaningful impact on the way some of the other platforms, notably your former employer, Facebook, maybe even TikTok, approach their uh, approach censorship? Because you know, then they won't all be in it together, right? At least there'll be a break in the uh, in the chains uh, or a break in the in the links of the chain of collusion here. You know, Buck, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, number one, I have no hope for TikTok. So take that CCP owned nonsense out of here. Uh, do what you got to do to get the kids off TikTok. Throw it away. Table that for a second. Facebook potentially. But what you said is the bigger issue. It's breaking that ideological monopoly. What most people don't know is that these tech companies, they move in concert. So Google's going to look to Facebook. Facebook's going to look to Twitter. They're all going to look at each other and see, are you making this decision? okay, we're going to follow suit. We feel comfortable when one tech company makes a content moderation decision so we can make it too. But Twitter, if they are going to be the stalwart, if they are going to you know, poke their head above the, press, the parapet and basically say, no, we believe in the First Amendment within the bounds of the law, Elon's words, that is going to break that ideological monopoly so they can't all move in concert and then sort of point fingers at each other when something like the Hunter Biden laptop story is suppressed. So that's what I see, and you pointed it out very clearly, is that breaking of the ideological monopoly, Twitter is going to be a, a wrench in the spokes, effectively, and we'll all be excited as conservatives, as freedom-minded people for that to happen. The, uh, I think it's an internal chat, com uh, chat company, Slack. I've never used it. I've read a lot of stories about this one. I know a lot of uh, corporations use this. Kind of reminds you of what AOL Instant Messenger was back in the day. For some people, but Slack uh, has banned. It was in that. It was in the news this week. The Immigration Restriction Group Federation for American Immigration Reform from using any of its services for allegedly violating the company's terms of service. Um, but they said they wrote a letter to Slack. "Quote: You should be advised that Fair is well aware there are government actors who are actively trying to censor Americans' right to freedom of speech and their use of tech platforms." including particular individuals of the Department of Homeland Security. Evidence that there was intervention by government officials in this matter would be of supreme interest not only to FAIR, but to the general public. Preserve all internal communications in this anticipation of probable litigation. You know, my friend Alex Berenson, I know, is in a lawsuit, ongoing lawsuit that has, has made it past the initial phases and is going into discovery against Twitter. It seems to me that the Federation for American Immigration Reform president here is saying to Slack, 
Well, if you guys were colluding with the government, the sitting Biden administration, for example, this is going to be a legal issue. Exactly. It's time to start treating these companies as quasi-state actors. We've seen this happen again and again. Jen Psaki telling Facebook we're working with them to flag problematic posts. Uh, her doing it again to Spotify during the Joe Rogan issue when he was platforming Dr. Malone. Um, you have Joe Biden saying private companies need to do more to police COVID misinformation. DHS Secretary Mallorca saying that we're working with these private companies to ensure legitimate use of the platform. And then the leaks from the disinformation board saying that we're operationalizing this, working with the government, working with the executives at Twitter, Twitter to police American speech. This is indicative of a pattern that we've seen again and again and again. And you're right. Is it a legal issue? Does it render these quote unquote private companies as potential state actors? I think there's a pretty good argument that it does. And I will say when the climate change experts come out and who work for the government and basically say, we're working with platforms to take down climate or potentially push them to take down climate denialism. YouTube already instituted something like that last October. Then you have a big problem on your hands. This is government and tech company collusion, and big tech are the new enforcers of what is right speak, according to the government. Huge problem. Take them to court. Put the hammer down on these tech companies for this because they cannot be the mouthpiece of the Biden administration to the detriment of the American citizen, period. Kara Frederick, always illuminating. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Biden fell off his bike. Trump has some thoughts. That's coming up next. Quick hit. Oh, it's time for those stories we throw together for you at the end to make sure you don't miss them. Some are wacky, some are crazy, some are fun, some are oh my gosh, and more. Quick hits, let's get right to it. We have, as you know, Bicycle Gate. Not really, just kidding. Joe Biden slipped on his bike a little bit. He's fine, didn't even hurt himself, but it just looked a little goofy for a second. And it's funny to watch how you point this out and some members of the regimes, uh, protectors in the media say, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. Everybody falls. Everybody slips. What's the big deal? Well, you know, it's not a big deal until they make it a big deal. And at some point you say to yourself, what the heck is going on here? Um, But Trump, always able with the one-liners, always ready to step into the fray, had this to say about the habit that several previous presidents have had about riding bicycles while they're in office line. One of the greatest travesties of all is to see a person in the White House who, even after years of political experience, has absolutely no clue how to be the president of the United States. And I hope he has recovered because, as you know, he fell off his bicycle today. No, I'm serious. I hope he's okay. Fell off a bicycle. I make this pledge to you today, I will never, ever ride a bicycle. Never ride a bicycle. I'm not a big bicycle guy, to be honest with you. I do ride an e-scooter in to do this show, which is a very fun way to get around. You don't necessarily look like a badass, that's putting it mildly, but you do get there quickly, and it is fun. You just sort of scoot, scooting around. Uh, bicycle's not for me. Not for the former president either, and maybe president again. So I believe that we are all fighting a war against noise. And there are people who are 
on the side of the inconsiderate and the people who are on the side of the considerate. This is a battle between evil and good, between uh, those who have some desire to protect civilization and those who don't care if it comes apart at the seams. And excessive noise is all over the place these days. People on their speaker phones at restaurants, playing their Bluetooth speakers at the beach. I don't want to hear whatever the, the make-believe DJ of the moment thinks we all need to hear at the beach. I just want to hear the waves and the birds and quiet. I don't want to hear their crappy music, right? Everyone understands that this is the civilized response, and those who don't aren't very civilized. And, you know, if someone's having a wedding and they ask you, hey, can you maybe just stop with the lawnmower? It's their wedding day. You know, maybe just wait before you have to take care of the lawn right away. The lawn's not gonna, the lawn's not gonna catch on fire if you don't cut it right in that moment. New York posted a story about how this a woman continued with her lawnmower even during a, a, a wedding next door. The neighbors were having a wedding in their yard. They couldn't even hear the vows because the lawnmower was so loud. And couldn't we couldn't get this uh, they couldn't get this neighbor to stop with the lawnmower. So I just got to tell you, you know, be considerate. Excess noise, unacceptable. And excess noise when it's not necessary, if you can time it out, you know, no reason, no reason for that. Uh, here's a poster photographed in New Jersey school that says, if your parents aren't accepting of your identity, I'm your mom now. Poster includes a bear and bear cubs uh, colored like uh, the, uh, the, uh, Pride flags, I believe. Uh, that's the, that's what this is all about. Um, there needs to stop being this movement among leftists and uh, and some people in the schools to try to have kids become trans without their parents knowing, because we all know that this is really weird and they need to stop, and that there is a social contagion going on here. But very, uh, they get very tense when you bring that stuff up. And then the White House press secretary responds to a question about the recession. And here's what she said. You got to see it. The president said last week that um, uh, there's no inevitability around a recession, but there is a, a greater deal of, of market concern about um, exactly that. And I know that inflation is your number one concern, but can you talk a little bit about if you're doing anything at all to prevent a, a recession or a rise in unemployment? So the way that we see this, and you've heard us uh, talk about this, that we're in a moment of transition. Uh, we have we have seen uh, we are in a unique situation with our uh, with the, the historical uh, gains with our economy. Uh, the way that uh, we see it is unemployment rate has held steady at 3.6, which is also near historic uh, lows. Uh, business in investment remains strong. Uh, household balance sheets remain strong. Uh, there was an analysis that came out recently that showed middle class Americans had an additional $10,000 uh, in savings th then before the pandemic. This was not, not good. All right. Not, not good talking points from the White House. Not a good narrative. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News of Bill O'Reilly is next. Fields high. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright. 
a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country, giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, Tunnel to Towers has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He enlisted in the military after graduating high school and left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son that he would never meet. But thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most severely injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. America's heroes are counting on you. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.